So I was going to try not to drink coffee this morning because caffeine, you know, combined with speaking nerves just dries out my mouth, you know, but, uh, but I broke down. So forgive me uh, ahead of time if I have to stop and, you know, suck down some water. Uh, but speaking of water, um, not too long ago, if you remember, it was water was falling from the sky here in Southern California, so much so that it felt like the days of Noah. And I had to take my boys to school. And so I said, hey, guys, let's go. Get in the car. And so we got in, 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 in my wife's car, and we got onto the 118 highway. And it was still, it was still raining. And, uh, and, and so as I get on the highway, I got, I got cars coming up behind me like 55 miles an hour. I got cars coming at me the next lane over like 55 miles an hour. And I feel something is wrong with the car. And I sense that one of the front tires is going flat and not wanting uh, the wheel to come off, the, the tire to come off the wheel like and on a slick road. And uh, I'm looking for a place to turn off. And all there is is puddles and mud everywhere. But I finally found this spot right in front of one of the nurseries where there's this gravel dirt parking lot. And I pull over. I find the least wettest spot. And there I change my tire. I get out the jack. In just a few moments, my, my car is all jacked up, literally. And I get the tire off, and it's wet, it's muddy. I'm rolling it to the back of the car. The, I, I put My wife has all these shopping bags in the back, so I put those down, and I, I put the tire on the shopping bags. And, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, the boys are going to be late. I'm going to get them to school. And so I put the spare on. I crank back the jack. I lower the car, and the spare is flat. And I laughed to myself, and I, I said to myself, this is just not going to be my day. <laughs> and as Christians, you know, we are free from the power of sin, but we don't get a free ride through life. And so when we go through disappointing, discouraging circumstances, what do we do with that, especially when it feels like God is nowhere to be found? Like when you say the right thing at the right time with the right attitude to the right person, but they don't take it the right way, and there was that fracture of that relationship. Or when there was that diagnosis or is that diagnosis that has nothing to do with your diet or abuse of drugs or alcohol or that financial crisis that has nothing to do with integrity or a, a lack of work ethic. What do we as Christians, how do we navigate that even when God doesn't seem like he's there, like he cares? How do we maintain our faith? I think we're going to get the answer to that in this story, this small but huge story found in Mark chapter 4. Starting in verse 35, if you would turn there. I'm going to read from the New International Version, and I believe Mike's going to put it up on the screen, and we can read out of that version if you'd like. But before we do, let's pray. God, thank you uh, for this beautiful day. I pray that you would reveal to us your heart, your character, but also give us application. In Jesus, your name, amen. So that day, when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go 
over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall or storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So Jesus says to his disciples, guys, let's go. Not across town to school, but across the lake to the other side. And they had a choice. They didn't have to get into the boat. And at one time, you and I, we were invited by Jesus to get into this thing called Christianity. He invited us into a relationship with him, and we chose to do so. We surrendered our lives to God. We, we received forgiveness when we repented, and, and we chose to follow him. And when we chose to follow him, we chose to put our trust in him, not knowing what lies ahead but knowing what lies at the end, that the purposes that God has for our lives will be fulfilled and that maybe we'll be a blessing to somebody else and that God would be glorified. And so the disciples, they get into the boat and it's probably a nice evening, maybe a gentle breeze blowing and, and they begin to cross the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret. And then that breeze turns into a wind, and then the wind turns into a strong wind, and then the strong wind turns into a violent wind, so much so that it's transferring all its energy into the surface of the lake, and waves are beginning to form. In March of 1992, easterly winds were coming down the Golden Heights so violently which is where they normally come during the, the squalls on, that, on the Sea of Galilee. They came down the Golan Heights, and they were, they were transferring, the wind was transferring its energy so much so on, on the Sea of Galilee that on the other side, there were six to nine-foot waves breaking. And Jesus is here out in this boat, and he's, he's a, he's, he's, he had been giving, giving, giving. Remember, he was healing hundreds of, of people preaching to thousands, maybe upon thousands, and he's exhausted. And yes, even the Son of God subjected himself to the limitations of a human body, and so he's asleep on a cushion in the back. And the waves are becoming so violent that they're breaking over the side of the boat. And maybe it was worse than 1992 because Satan wants to take out Jesus. And maybe there's a spiritual element behind it. And the disciples, four of them at least are fishermen. One of them I know for sure could swim from John chapter 21, but they're terrified. 
they know that if the ship goes down, if the boat goes down, they're going to go down with it because they may, they're probably towards the middle of the lake where the, the winds are the most violent. And if they are, they're three miles from either shore in water temperatures, which could be in the 50s, depending on what month it is. And they're terrified. And Jesus is asleep. He's kind of checked out. He's He's not participating, he's not communicating, he's silent. But is he still in control? When you're in a storm, a trial, and it seems like he's just not there, is he still in control? John, one of the disciples in the boat who as an old man, later on, he writes in his gospel, according to John, in his opening sentences, he says this. He says that all things were made through him, through Jesus. Nothing was made that was not made through him. That means every proton and every electron of every hydrogen atom attached to another hydrogen atom attached to one oxygen atom, i.e. H2O, of every drop, of every ounce, of every wave spilling over that boat was falling at the feet of its maker. And every ounce of weight of air that was blowing from one high pressure to another pressure to low pressure to high pressure, every ounce that was blowing upon the garments of Jesus was blowing upon the garments of its maker. There was nothing the wind or the waves could do to Jesus. But his disciples were still afraid. They had seen the miracles. They had heard him preach about faith, about the, the, the four seeds, about the, the mustard seed, and, and yet they were terrified. But someone gets a great idea. Let's wake Jesus. Brilliant. I mean, listen, it's so basic, but listen, the, my first point of, of this sermon is this. When you're in a difficult circumstance, you got to go to Jesus. Turn to someone and say, you got to go to Jesus. So they wake him up. Jesus, don't you care we're going to drown? And they're panicked. And I think, um, Mark, what he finds is, is important about what he, he makes it a point to make sure we, we, we know that the disciples were panicked. I remember when I took my family to Legoland, and uh, my youngest son was, was around four years old. And we stayed in the Sheraton, which is right adjacent to Legoland. It's, it's a nice hotel. And it had a, a really nice pool. And Caleb was like four. And, and so we check in. We're going to go to Legoland the next day. So we, we're at the hotel. We check in. We, we get our room. And we go, let's go swimming. And so we go down to the pool. It's this huge pool. It's like, to a four-year-old, it's like a lake. And so it's, we're like, um, Tammy's laying in a lounge chair. I've got, we got the floaty thingies on Caleb's arms. And, and so we're, I'm in the pool with Caleb. And, and I didn't know it, but he had this reflux thing going on. Where if he swallowed just a little bit of water, the water would come out. Along with everything else. And we're in the water, and he swallows some water, and he just, he throws up right there in the pool. Except it was pink. I didn't know it, but mommy was giving him antibiotics that were pink, and I'm, I freak out. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
And I, I grab him, I pick him up out of the water, I run up the steps, I go, Tammy, I go, Kayla, just threw up in the pool, and it's pink, oh my gosh, what am I, what, what's wrong with him, it's pink, and I'll never forget her reaction, she looks at me so calmly, and she goes, well, scoop it out, he said, scoop it out, you scoop it out, no, you're the dad, you're an adult, scoop it out, with what, I don't know, like a boogie board, or so. have you ever scooped a bee out of a pool with a boogie board? It's like scooping a gnat out of a cup of juice or a coffee with a knife. And there's a reason they call them PFDs, personal flotation devices, because they don't like to go under the water. And here I am, I'm trying to get this blob of pink out with this boogie board. I'm just stirring up the water. I'm making waves. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's, it starts to move like, like it's alive. And it's moving to the other side of the pool, and there's children over there. And I hear something. Dun, 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 dun. No, I didn't. I, I'm just joking. I didn't hear anything. But, but I panicked again, and I thought, oh, my gosh. I said, guys, let's go across the pool to the other side of the hotel where the rooms are. And before someone finds out that that belongs to us. And the disciples were panicked. And Jesus wakes up. What does he do? He that, he that was silent, that was calm. He gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And that which was noisy becomes silent. And that which was chaotic and crazy becomes calm. And the disciples are freaked out. Who is this guy? And Jesus says, and I believe that Mark, this is the main point that Mark wants to say. Jesus says, guys, are you still that afraid? Like that's the natural thing to, to be afraid. Like for example, Discouragement causes us to be afraid of disappointment, which causes us to pray safe prayers. Prayers that aren't risky. But James, the apostle James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know what he says? He says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. A righteous person is anyone like you and me who have received forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Your prayers and my are powerful and effective. And Jesus even invites us to pray, and he says, guys, you're weary, you heavy burdened, come to me. I'll give you rest. Not, I, don't, I believe he wasn't just saying that to non-believers. He was inviting us too. And, and Peter one of the disciples on this boat later on, he says, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. So he says, you still that afraid? Then he says, do you have no faith? In other words, faith is what pushes out fear. Faith pushes out fear. My second point, after, when you go to, to Jesus in prayer, take faith with you. 
Faith is believing in what you cannot see. Faith is believing that even though you don't know what's ahead, you believe that at the end, God will have fulfilled his purposes in your life. That he's true to his word. Take faith with you. If you're lacking in faith, just go get some. Well, how do I get faith? Well, faith is, how do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing about the promises of God, the power of God, and the presence of God. And we hear about that through through this, through his word, right? So let me ask you, are you going to go to lunch today after church? Most of you probably will. And most of you are probably going to eat tomorrow. But what if you didn't eat tomorrow, and you didn't eat Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and You're going to be so tired. You're going to be so lethargic, so weak, right? Because your body needs food. You have a spirit person inside this flesh and bones that isn't really you. You are a spirit person. And your spirit person needs spiritual food to be strong in faith. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, I'm the manna that comes down from heaven. Remember the Israelites coming out of Egypt, they go into the desert for 40 years. Every day they ate this manna that just appeared in the morning, except for on the Sabbath, on Saturdays, because twice as much appeared on Friday. But they had manna every day to eat. Jesus said, I'm that manna. Remember how he taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. So listen, this sermon right now, I'm feeding you. God's feeding you through me, but this isn't enough for you to be strong in faith this week. You've got to You've got to eat some of this. Mallory just started a, a, a Grow in Prayer Bible app devotional for five days. Brilliant, Mallory. That's great. Get a Bible app out. Read daily, and you will have faith. One day, uh, I mean, I, when I was in vocational ministry at another church, uh, I was also working another job because I've always been kind of bivocational in order to, to, for my family to have a house here in Southern California. And, uh, and it's a commission job. And, I, and I, I wasn't able to make ends meet for two months. And I was behind on my mortgage for two months and other bills. And I remember on a Friday, I prayed. I said, God, you know what my needs are. I need $4,500 by Monday. You know, I'm working two jobs. I'm tithing. I'm even going above and beyond my tithes. I'm being generous. Lord, I don't know what to do, but you know what I need. And I remember just laying that out to him on a ta- like on a table. And the weekend went by, and Monday went by, and nothing happened. And then I got the mail, and it was a card from my grandmother. And I opened it, and a check fell out. And I did probably what, what you never do. I, I looked at the check first, and, and, it, and it was for $5. And 
And I thought, why in the world is my grandmother, who's poor, sending me even a check for $5? It's not my birthday. It's not Christmas. It's not, it's not Easter. But then I read the card, and she said, I just want to bless my grandchildren. And uh, I looked back at the check. It wasn't $5. It was $5,000. And I went, what? And I, I called my grandmother, and I said, what are you doing, Grandma? You don't have... No, I want to bless my, my grandchildren. I didn't know it, but she was dying. But she knew it. And she wanted to bless her children before, her grandchildren before she died. And I remember weeping, going, Grandma, you, you don't even know what I just prayed on Friday. But after I tithed on that $5,000 check, what was I left over with? 10% of 5,000 is 500, 500 from 5,000 is $4,500. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all we could ask or imagine. You can take faith with you when you go to God. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. Peace through the storms, right? So when you go to God, take faith with you. If you don't have faith, go get it. And last, it'll be worth it. Because you will experience the presence of his power and the power of his presence. And when you experience those things, you will grow probably in love or joy or peace or kindness or goodness or gentleness or faithfulness or self-control. And probably somebody else will be blessed as well. The disciples didn't know it, but when Jesus says, hey guys, let's get in the boat, let's go across to the other side, Jesus is going to the other side for a purpose. There is a man over there who needs to be rescued spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. He is possessed by demons. He cannot rescue himself. And Jesus is going to turn him into a missionary. So Jesus says, guys, let's go, not knowing that they're going to be a part of a rescue team. They're on a rescue mission. They don't even know it. And, 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 and fear comes, and they're, they're, they're needing faith, but, and, but they're on the rescue team. But they get to the other side. Listen, sometimes the trials that you go through are to bless others too. Jesus doesn't want to just increase your faith and your joy and your peace, etc. But there's a purpose maybe to encourage somebody else from the wisdom that you gain from the trials. So let me ask you, when the disciples were on the boat, did they experience stress? Was their body producing all kinds of adrenaline that it really didn't need to? Yes. Did they get wet? Yes. Did they get cold? Yes. But at the end, were they okay? Yes. If you ask them right now, was it worth it? What do you think they would say? Oh my gosh, we thought we were gonna die. And then Jesus just stands up and he just says, he just rebukes the wind and the waves. And then all of a sudden, everything, the wind just stops <clears throat> and the waters just, they go calm like glass. Oh my gosh, our faith, it will never be the same. 
Jesus never said it would be easy, right? He said it would be worth it. And looking back to driving in my wife's car, I'm just glad that on that slick, rainy road, it wasn't her driving because something worse could have happened. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for even your small stories are so big. And we love that you gave us your word to encourage us, to give us faith. Give me faith, Lord, that I may trust what you say. God, I pray for everyone in this room that those who are in a trial, coming out of a trial, or about to go in one, God, that you would keep their faith strong. For you never called us, you called us to the other side, not to stop in the middle and drown. So I pray for their strength, God. In your name I pray, amen.